Hello there, folks, and welcome back once again to another episode of Booze, Booms, and Busts, the podcast where we quaff a few beers, rate those beers, and discuss market movements and market drama at the same time. My name is Boai Shoshan, and I'm joined, as ever, by Sam Volkring. Sam, how are you getting on this week? Good. Good afternoon, sir. Uh, nice to be with you again, drinking uh, beer and talking about random shit in the markets. Hoorah! <laughs> Plenty of that out there this week. Uh, indeed, I mean, this year has been, you know, there's not been a dull moment, has there? Oh, I shit. can't think of any dull moments. No dulls. No dulls. There is nothing dull about this year. There is a lot of people that have shit themselves uh, with the performance of their investments, but certainly not dull. No one can accuse anyone of, of dullness, that's for sure. Yeah, it's pretty funny, really. Um, oh, I mean, you know, you always got to look on, on the bright side, right? But uh, always look on the bright exactly, side. Exactly. Exactly. But things like, um, you know, we've got really high inflation at the minute all mm. over the shop in the developed world. And, uh, you know, gold and Bitcoin have had a really bad time, uh, yeah. both of which were being touted as very strong inflation hedges. Yeah. Now, I think for both of these, this is a, a short term, uh, this is a short term reaction that we've seen. And this will change over time. But that's just my prediction for it. Um, but like, during an inflationary period, you've got stocks doing really bad as mm. well, or at least the popular ones. And so it's <laughs> ironic that in an inflationary era, cash is what is performing really, really well. I mean, that's uh, it's the opposite of what everyone thought would happen, which just seems to be what happens these days. Yeah, I guess it depends on you. I've written about this a couple of times this week. I guess it depends on your denominator. I mean, if, if you're holding US dollars against the euro, then yeah, man, killing it. <laughs> yeah, big time. <laughs> There's, uh, the amount of I, I always laugh the amount of articles i see when it's like uh the, the us dollar got to parity with the euro and it's like americans are now looking to holiday in europe more than ever before yeah they like, certainly are i national uh, I lampoons in, vibes yeah i was uh <laughs> i was in athens uh, last week uh, well just a few days ago actually and the number of americans there uh was uh, yeah, they were they were certainly representing themselves in Europe. Uh, I'm currently in Istanbul at the minute. And for anyone who thinks that gold is a pet rock that doesn't work as an inflation hedge, mm -hmm. uh, just take a look at the gold price in Turkish lira. I think we're up, what, six times over the past four years. I think you could buy, I think it went from like 5,000 lira uh, to 30,000 lira today. There was not very much of a, of a slowdown either during COVID. And, uh, you know, the Turks, they uh, they understand their gold. It's isn't, quite interesting. Isn't everything up based against the Turkish lira? A lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs, I've got to say. Uh, Istanbul is a really, really interesting place. And uh, a lot of crypto here as well. You know, just arriving... <laughs> Just arriving in the airport, right? You got all these foreign exchange desks that are uh, proudly proclaiming that they accept rubles. Yeah. And then you've got these uh, big ads from crypto exchanges like OKX. Yeah. And some of the Turkish-based ones as well, just inside the airport. You see big billboards for uh, for crypto platforms too, just driving around. Uh, it's a very interesting place. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of that is just being driven by the fact that the, their currency is getting trashed. I was speaking to uh, a lady... Uh, just yesterday, uh, she's a teacher, uh, teaches English, and uh, but she, you know, she's Turkish, and uh, you know, I, I during the conversation, I sort of forgot that I was in Turkey, 
and uh, <laughs> very standard millennial conversation uh, about you know what what you're going to do with your life, etc. And um, very standard millennial living situation as well, because she still lives with her parents, even though she's mm. in her twenties. And I was like, oh well, you know, you you're living with your parents, surely you must have a fair bit of savings, right? You know, yeah. complete lack of self awareness that I'm in Turkey, and she was she said, well, no, the like the currency gets trashed, even if I was. Like I, I've watched the currency get trashed for so long that there is no point in me saving. Why shouldn't I just spend it all on nihilistic consumerist goods? It's crazy, isn't it? Because yeah, it's and it's really depressing, right? That's yeah. really bad. So like the the smart, uh, the, you know, the the older folks who sort of know the score, they just as soon as they have any money, they just buy gold jewelry with it, and you can get like really good gold jewelry in Turkey where it's twenty two carat, so it's investment grade, uh, but. It you know when inflation takes off like that and people don't save for the future, it you know it leads to really bad outcomes. Yeah, I mean when you've got young people asking what's the point of savings, mm. you've that like that's that that all of a sudden becomes generational issues that that bleeds in you know short term stuff like what we're seeing now bleeds in to you know decades and decades of of generations that don't bother really saving or, or building well they can't save or building wealth of any description it's like we and it makes perfect sense why something like crypto becomes becomes popular and becomes big because it when they when the sort of traditional financial system fiat currencies are, are just getting trashed i mean why and, and then they're there they're saying what's the point well then it gives them that option doesn't it i guess yeah you know, one thing I was pondering after after I had that conversation, actually, was whether or not we're actually going to get a consumption boom. So everyone thinks uh, because we've got a cost of living squeeze at the minute that we're going to mm. see uh, consumption go down a lot. And I wonder uh, whether or not it won't be a boom such that you'd have during a, a period of economic growth where people have lots of money, so they want to spend it but more driven by younger people uh, who are just nihilistically spending because they don't see money having uh, any future value or much future value, which I think would be against a lot of people's expectations because uh, despite what the White House would have you believe, well, uh, we, we are in a recession. You've also got to think about, and, and I, I've talked about this for quite a number of years and it's eventually it's going to happen. Um, if you're young and you're in your 20s and your folks are maybe getting on a bit, maybe you're still living at home. Um, why why would you why would you bother with the with the skyrocketing property prices over like the um, statistics office here in the UK um, we're saying like the, the average house, the average house price in the UK over the last 12 months was has risen by 9.6%. Now we know about some of the shitholes in this country, so that's the fucking average, and 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 the, and it's like the 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 lowest income earners in city of London properties are now the average property price is like forty years worth of income for like people to even think about it. At some point, people will start to inherit land properties. And if you sort of know you're roughly in line for a bit of a asset windfall, what what is the fucking point? Do you know what I mean? It's like, man, yeah, that, yeah. There's a Another shift. There's a, there is a big wealth yeah. shift that's coming. Yeah, 
where, where one generation just waits for the older ones to die. I think, much. I think something's going to happen. I, I, th- I don't think it will remain, uh, like will remain in stasis like this, where there is time to wait. I think there will be some other big thing that happens. I don't know what it is, but which will somehow accelerate the shift. I don't know, I don't know if it would be you know, suddenly the boomers get wiped out or something, but there will be some kind of economic issue that requires an awful lot of millennial labor, which will then drive some kind of wealth redistribution of some sort. I just can't imagine the status quo persisting, but maybe, you know, things can like, last a lot longer than you expect. They civil service conscription. So you're not like conscripted to go to war. You're just conscripted to run the rails while the unions um, weaponize their memberships <laughs> to keep, to keep the infrastructure Funny. running. It's funny, the uh, UK Foreign Office, I, I read this the other day, uh, during like the 1850s, during the, well, it's the British Foreign Office, like, you know, the Imperial uh, Foreign Office, uh, had a had a headcount of like 40 people in 1858. <laughs> and uh, it actually went down for a little bit as well. So this is like peak British Empire. And uh, today it's like 10,000 people. <laughs> Man, so it's crazy, right? So there's there's so much to be said about the way in which the civil service has bloated itself over the last few decades. And then not only that, how unions have a road, like I I, I wrote about this this week, actually, that's going to get sent out, I think published next week, that one of the worst things that's ever happened to our, to sort of westernized economies is the expectation of increased wages in, in line with inflation. That is the, most ridiculous sort of unwritten rule <laughs> in employment across Western countries that the expectation is, is if inflation's 2% at a minimum, you get your wages increased with inflation. It is, it is completely counterproductive to how inflation works because if you have skyrocketing inflation and then everyone's demanding that their pay skyrockets that only exacerbates the stress and strain that companies and organizations are put under let alone the fucking civil service um and you can't sustain that kind of policy when things are like they are so in periods of high inflation people should be getting wage freezes and it's in growth times when wages should be increasing faster than the pace of inflation. But the issue then, of course, is that <laughs> bastard fucking employers and civil service uh, organizers haven't increased wages when times were good. And they've, they've, that's when they've kept them low, which is why everyone kicks off now when there's a cost of living, living in inflation crisis. Yeah, Sam. Good luck selling uh, selling that to the to the masses. We were, what was it, Andrew Bailey? That was yeah. Saying ne- that- that'll never get me fucking elected. I can guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, just Andrew Bailey, like trying to make a personal appeal to the uh, to the citizens of the UK, saying, "Don't ask for a pay rise when you're getting shafted by inflation." Oh, also, uh, the only thing that we're going to do is raise interest rates by a few basis points yeah. every now and then to deal with inflation. That's uh, looking at double digits. Um, yeah, not a good look, Bailey. But, uh, you know, who is he to who is he to be, uh, you know, defending the value of currency? Isn't that someone it, else's job? Oh, it's, a, it's a double it's a double problem because they're so reactionary that by the time they decide to pull their finger out their ass and do something, it's too fucking late. He should have been doing shit. They should, he should have been nutting up the uh, uh, bank rate by at least half a percent to three quarters of a percent 
months on fucking months, let alone every couple of months uh, last year. Well, it should have happened before the pandemic, arguably, but the Bank of England didn't do anything. Uh, Of course, that was Carney's job. But, you know, we can't let property prices fall, Sam. That might mean boomers become less wealthy. We're trying to create the wealth effect here. That's right. What what, if there's no wealth to transition to millennials? Then what's the point? (laughs) Yeah, the uh, the meek meek millennial shall inherit the house. (laughs) Yeah, well. There's plenty of houses to go around. Um, well, maybe there's not. I can't remember. There's, there's, there's always issues with housing. Crash the property market and you'll level out some of the countries that need some leveling out. Um, yeah. you, you, now, while we're on the subject of civil service, I have to bring this up because this cannot be avoided. Um, I want to know if you think that we're going to see Trump 25 uh, isn't it, Trump going to stand in 2024? Uh, yeah, yeah, and we'll see him back in office. Is when when is, does, would would that put him in office in 2025? Or I don't know. You know, is he going to uh, run well, again? Yeah. That's the question. Yeah. Is Trump is he going to run? Uh, yeah, uh, I think if he, yeah, I think I think it's a very it's a decent likelihood. I would say more than 50 percent he's going to run again. Uh, and if he doesn't run, it's going to be whoever he wants to run that does. Uh, I think Trump has uh, immense influence in the Republican Party. So, yeah, it's him or it's going to be his top pick. So I was reading today that if he gets back into power, he is going to literally gut the civil service in America. Mass clean out. Not just of the, the the Trump opposers, but just all of the career civil servants uh, that he is very much opposed to. Uh, the deep was, state, yeah, yeah, the deep state, and uh, like like you said, um, the because I think so. What I was reading is that he he had put into law the presidential power to fire and sack civil servants. I think, and then Biden swiftly fuck that off when he got into power and Trump wants to bring that back so that he can just take a hatchet and get rid of thousands and thousands of civil servant jobs that more or less oppose what he's doing. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Uh, I mean, I, uh, I would certainly be uh, very strongly in favor of shrinking the size of government in, I mean, is there any Western large western developed economy that does not have an enormous state exactly um uh, certainly certainly not in america i mean i think the bigger question though sam rather than uh what trump does on the republican side is what the hell is going to go on with biden uh so i don't think it's ever occurred in american history yet that a, a president stands down uh when they won the previous election i don't think it's ever happened that they uh you know they're yeah, they don't try again. Hmm. But Biden, man, he's uh, like, no. this has been a, a running theme, but he, he really is oh, looking frail. really, really. Uh, did you see that one with uh, the, the, that clip of him saying you can't be pro-cop and pro-insurrection. You can't be uh, pro-America, pro-insurrection. And his eyes are like, you know, wild. I, I, I can't imagine the, the volume of stimulants that he's getting injected with before they put him in front of the camera like this. But I mean, this was serious. Uh, like this was so obvious. Like even if you didn't want, if you were as you bled blue, you voted blue your entire life, I, you couldn't avoid noticing that this looks a bit strange. The worst thing is that they put him in is that that was 
And, and to be fair, it worked. But he was their best person for their job. <laughs> like our best men. This is our best. And I mean, arguably it was because because he's he's the current sitting president. But if he's the best and he's no longer around, what the fuck else are they left with? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, that's what that's what the question is, is so because it seems, you know, the weight of history suggests that Biden uh, runs again. But at the same time, it's definitely not in, I think, the Democrats' best interest that he does. Well, so here's how I see it, right? I, I think Trump's going to run again. And I think he's going to win again. But against who? Against Biden? I don't, I, think, it, I don't Biden. think it matters. I don't think it matters. And I think that the number one thing that he's going to do, uh, aside from the civil service, aside from whatever anyone ever thinks, is Trump's number one priority is going to get America back to energy independence. Yeah, I think that'd be an easy thing to run on the campaign trail. A lot of people yeah. say, you know, you can't blame Biden for the inflation. But when you consider that so much of inflation is energy costs, yeah. and you know, the Biden administration has been so, like they, they effectively made a lot of bad decisions early on before, uh, before Wu flu really, regarding uh, you know, green energy, drilling, uh, drilling rights, et cetera. And uh, they've refused to go back on it because that makes them look really bad. Uh, but it's done. It's done. Been really bad for energy for energy costs. And now uh, it's a terrible look. Selling selling oil from the petroleum reserve, the strategic petroleum reserve, just before the midterms, uh, to a company that's linked to Hunter Biden in China. Like this, this is appalling optics. Uh, you know. He, he, what, it just looks so bad. So I can easily see Trump running on the energy independence platform and uh, getting a lot of votes that way. Um, but, you know, 2024 is still a while away, Sam. A lot can change. I mean, just given how crazy things have been over the last six months, a lot can change before 2024. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a tricky one. It's I I I love looking I love looking at how commodities react to to everything. Like I remember we we did this podcast when oil was at zero and then some um, negative, yeah. <laughs> and and you know then it's it's rise back to to to, to glory days. And I think was it Exxon just reported like monster fucking profits. Big time, yeah. Like proud, proud XOM shareholder here, by the way. Not yeah. financial advice, but I do own I do own Zom. What was it like 20 billion or something in fucking cash? And oh my God. <laughs> so, Good days for an oil man. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if like so. One of the things that I love looking at, and I want to, I want to figure out if this is a, if this is a trade or idea or not. And I don't know at this point. Um, shorting the natural gas market. Okay, you're I, walking through it. I, 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 it's so. It's sky, it's sky high, right? Like ridiculous yep. because of everything fucking happening with Russia. At some point, that that ends, though, doesn't it? Oh, oh, absolutely. At some point, Sam, but when? Well, that's I, the thing, right? That's what I'm trying to figure out. We're coming up to winter, and yeah. you know, Russia wants to wants to tighten them screws. Does does <laughs> just like how high does gas go? 
before you go, actually, right, I'm going to start shorting the shit out of this now. Uh, you know, the they talk about uh, buying the bottom, you're catching a falling knife, right? Yeah, yeah. This is like the inverse of that. Yeah. This is like looking at a balloon stuff. and then it's looking at a balloon inflating and then saying when it's going to pop. And I wouldn't want to. But you can kind of tell when it's going to pop because it gets so inflated and the th the skin starts to get so thin. You're just like, you know what? It's it's, it's going to pop now. Thing is, it only gets to that point when all of the people who've been shorting it have have given have thrown in the towel, <laughs> and like that, those are your 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 comrades. So need to be very careful with that one, I think. But you know, at some point they will, it will. But if we're going into winter, Sam. Um, well, I mean, we got a little while before then, so I'm sure there's plenty of, uh, uh, you know, volatility until that point. But the market is aware that winter is coming. So, uh, what happens? What does the market do if? What does the market do if, if all of a sudden Russia get all the territories they want and and effectively war ends? Yeah, I mean that would be the time to to start shorting the hell out of gas. Though at the same time, I think. It depends on who grants the concessions because Russia would mm. still probably want to punish Germany somewhat and would want to maintain its leverage. So they'd need to get something specifically out of Germany, I think, unless the concession was negotiated in such a way that you turn the gas back on. That would be my uh, estimate. It's a tricky one. But again, this, this kind of keeps, I keep coming back to this idea is that the, probably the biggest policy platform that we'll see um, across all nations is getting to energy independence some form of energy independence see this is the thing and how is this energy independence achieved because yeah. everyone has been talking that green is the future for so long and yet this is not the way to get energy independence no so you need to sell coal and oil and all the stuff that we've been told is uh barbarous relics for the past <laughs> several years to be sexy again and you know make you look good so you know how and then so what well, then how do you convince all the um soon to be property inheritors that uh those things are sexy again can you convince them? you can you can son this is how you do it right so uh you wait until the winter and everyone in germany can no longer get a hot shower and it's absolutely freezing and you say so, kid, you uh, you want to inherit that house when it doesn't have any hot water? You don't? Well, I can change that. We just need to start mining coal. I've got these not-so-shiny brown rock kind of crumbly rock things in my hands. We need to rebrand coal. We it's need to give it a sexy new name. Coffee. Just call it coffee. Pretend it's coffee. I've got a special form of uh, rare coffee that can heat and power uh, your home, but it has to be artisanally brewed for it to, uh, to, to work effectively. Uh oh, hopefully my internet hasn't killed itself again. Hey, did you back? I can't hear you. Say something. 
Okay, it changed my microphone. Yeah, got you. Got you. Cool. You ready? Yeah, hope it's still recording everything. It said recording in progress uh, when. uh, All right. When we reconnect. Where did I? Where did I cut off? So just say you were saying uh, we'll just call it coffee. Yeah. Okay. We'll just call it coffee, and uh, it has to be artisanally brewed for you. Handcrafted. Handcrafted handcrafted energy. Energy. Uh, Yeah. 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 Handcrafted brown energy brown such a it's not a sexy color is it it's a tough one to sell but we are in the 1970s again and brown suits were a thing so maybe it can become popular again you know what speaking of cold showers that reminds me i remember in victoria back when i was a kid so must have only been about 10 or 11 or 12 years old or something like that um one of the one of the big gas plants in melbourne uh something happened to it and the gas was shut off basically for like a week. And, and pretty much all of Melbourne had to have cold showers for like an entire week. It was, this reinforces your point. It was fucking shit. <laughs> Having to wake up at six o'clock in the morning or whatever to have a cold shower before you head off to school sucked so bad. It made you realize mm-hmm. how much you loved hot showers. I I actually really like cold showers. I'm going to be the uh, the hipster here uh, because they're really good for you. Yeah, yeah, but you're not a 12 year old kid. It's true. It's true. Yeah, 12 year olds don't need cold showers. That's for sure, unless they need to be disciplined. <laughs> but uh, as an adult, okay. like if you drink a lot, <laughs> they uh, they sober you up. Real Get in quick. the cold shower, bad child. How long did you spend on your Xbox? 12 minutes. 12 <laughs> minutes past bedtime. You've got 12 minutes in the cold shower, buddy. Social services will be on your fucking doorstep before you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. But no, I, I think cold showers are pretty good. So, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe actually cold showers in Germany will have a really bad effect because uh, yeah. I think, so cold showers are meant to be really good for, uh, you know, uh, calorie consumption. So, uh, you know, you'll burn loads of, loads of calories in the cold shower. And for men, it'll uh, increase testosterone. So maybe this might actually get a rise out of Germany that uh, we Literally. don't want to see. Yeah, literally. <laughs> well, this that could lead to bad. that could lead to a new baby boom. Uh, yeah, but it could also lead to the rise of a much more militaristic Germany. And uh, well, you know, you know we don't like is. to see that. Oh, mm. oh, too soon. <laughs> they don't have they don't have any guns though, so it's fine. They'll just have to be uh, you know prancing around the streets with shaved heads or whatever. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> wow. Where do you, where do you, where do you go from there? Well, actually, do you know what? So I was I was looking at some stuff on World War Two um, earlier because I sent you a link, and Feveran obviously can't see the emails that I sent, but or messages. Um, it was a link to Vogue magazine because uh, President Zelensky and his wife um, are, according to Vogue, the face of bravery. Oh man, the image of bravery, and uh, they've done a Vogue spread. The two of them. Uh, in the midst of a midst of a war, they've decided that to raise the awareness of the plight of Ukraine, they would do a Vogue spread. Um, I mean, we, we should preface that no one no one likes what's going on at the moment. There's a lot of bad shit going down. But for the president of the Ukraine, which still ranks as one of the most corrupt nations in the world, that's certainly not gotten any better during the war. I'll tell you that. Has definitely not gotten less corrupt. Uh, doing a vogue spread with his wife i mean imagine 
imagine yeah. if this was another country. So I can easily imagine uh, the, the hit pieces from Western journalists if yeah. Shar Assad and his wife did a nice magazine photo shoot uh, during the conflict. In fact, that probably happened. I, I would, I would actually, I'll, I'll wager that actually happened. That the Bashar Assad was featured in a big magazine with his wife, part of their propaganda thing, and Western journalists just uh, took a hatchet to it. And here we are. The, um, the the Bin Laden did like a Taliban Vogue cover that we just never saw. Mm, oh man, can you imagine what he was wearing? He him with his cat with his Casio watch, you know, the terrorist <laughs> chic. You see Casios everywhere now, actually. Um, they're definitely coming Everybody. back in a big way. Man, the Casios are everywhere. And every movie that I watch or TV series, everyone's rocking old Casio watches as well. You're right. It's, it's almost as big as that. We, we spoke about this a few episodes ago about the um, moon, moon swatch. Mm. Yeah, big time. And I, I, well, they're more popular in that you can actually get your hands on a Casio and you can't get your hands on a moon swatch. I've been a big um, Casio fan for a long, long time. I like. Nope. Yeah, they won't get old. It's Early like a Casios massive... and then G-Shocks. I, I love a G-Shock watch. Give me you a, do, give you me do, a G-Shock yeah. every day of the week. Speaking of which, they're actually making G-Shocks in steel for the first time soon, uh, which is sure to be a big uh, a big winner. So I think you know Casio. I mean, it's a massive instrument of like Japanese soft power. Excuse the me, number of <laughs> yeah, the number of people who who own those things and wear them. It's uh, it's not. I mean, Casio, uh, I've had so much, so many Casio things from keyboards to watches, um, calculators. Casio is like, it's like Yamaha. They're just mm -hmm. one of those companies that just make a whole heap of shit that you're like, oh, what? No shit. Yeah, but a conglomerate. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember uh, like folks with like hockey, hockey stick bags that were made by Yamaha. It was like these guys also make motorcycles. Yeah, it's like, like motor, motor, motorbike, dirt, dirt bike. But like they make some of the best motorbikes, and also some of the best pianos and drum kits and fucking, <laughs> you, you name it. They, they're into it. I think they also make. Don't they also make engines? I think they make boats as well, uh, or the boat yeah, engines. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, man, what a company that is. Yeah, Japanese industrial conglomerates are pretty nuts because. They have their own banks as well, which can provide finance to their own subsidiaries. It's really weird. Like it's way different from what you get in the West, uh, yeah, but like, somehow they're it works. Like they're so. an independent little sovereign nations of just industrial activity. Yeah. Interestingly though, I was actually speaking to a, uh, a Japanese fella uh, recently, a uh, big bloke in the, in the crypto space and um, talking about sort of Japanese uh, technological ingenuity. And he said, it's not gone anywhere since the 1980s. Like everything, uh, it's just your your our Western perception of Japan being really good at tech is just a vestigial element of the 1980s that uh, has not gone anywhere. So everyone thinks Japan's a big technological leader, but uh, apparently it's quite stagnant. It does seem like China's kind of caught up pretty quick and surpassed what the Japanese are capable of. And America, I mean, America's America's always had because they've always had, well, they've always been able to print the money to make it happen. Um, but America's at the, same time, at the same time, I would say, uh, you know, China has been stealing a lot of America's tech, just the same way America stole a lot of Britain's tech back in uh, centuries past. True. I think it's just the way it goes with rising great powers, you know. Wow, yeah, and but no, not so much anymore now that the um chips, the chips act is in full effect. Ah, yes, yeah, the, the, the Pelosi trade was ahead of that one. 
as well mm. for anyone that was following. I think she snapped snapped up a whole bunch of Nvidia, um, either stock or options or something. And as that did her was, husband. Yep. was it a day or two before the Chips Act was um, pushed through? What a coincidence! She's just such a lucky woman. I know. And then someone questioned about her in a press conference. She, she just walked off. <laughs> How good's that? Like, it's so blatantly obvious. And then someone challenges you on it. I'm like, what a reaction that is. Someone asks you something you don't like. And instead of saying anything, you just walk off the stage. Yeah. Funnily enough, I was uh, watching a, uh, I think it was from The Block or Decrypt. A couple of guys who used to work at um, a very large hedge fund, which shall remain unnamed which uh, Ben Bernanke uh, subsequently went to following his uh, departure from the Federal Reserve Board. And uh, he was paid, you know, a very large salary just to uh, weigh in every now and again before the FOMC meetings uh, to say what the Fed is going to do next. And this chap uh, who uh, was maybe maybe not a huge fan of post-financial crisis monetary policy uh, mm -hmm. challenged him on effectively everything Bernanke had done since then, where it's ultra-easy monetary policy, gets rid of price discovery, everything goes crazy, you know, quantitative easing, et cetera, et cetera. And um, Ben Bernanke uh, just slams his hands on the table and says, I completely disagree, and then walks off. That's the end of the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you disagree with that? Yeah, you can't. Yeah, I mean, that, when someone shuts you down like that, it's pretty tricky to press the, press the point. You'd have to follow them or something, pester them a bit, but then you look like the bad guy because yeah. you're harassing them. You see, then you look like the crazy one. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's a it's a tricky one. Though Sam, we haven't actually said what beers we're drinking uh, this week yet oh, in yes. this episode. What do you want at the minute? Uh, I have two of Italiana's finest. I've got a couple of cans <laughs> of Peroni Nastro Azzurro. I, I do promise our readers that I will place an order for a eclectic bunch mix of of craft beers uh next week and try and get them delivered so that we can get back to actually drinking and rating some beers from around the country or around the world um i might try and keep all my next batch to the uk um get back onto the swing of things i, I have noticed recently that there's been a um spate of um crowdfunding uh from craft beer breweries which i've found interesting as well uh recently i don't know whether that's a good sign or a bad sign but um anyway just a side note uh yeah i'm, I'm gonna i'll get back onto the boutique beers but for now it's two cans of peroni nastro azura and um you know it's actually it's always pretty good i really like peronis i'm not gonna lie if i if i had a go-to beer when it's pretty hot and it's pretty hot today um it's got to be a peroni cold ice cold peroni uh, but, but Sam, it's not it's not real Peroni. Like uh, in Italy, Peroni is a different beer. And what you're drinking is what Italy calls Nastro Azzurro. That is true. But, you know, it's been pretty nitpicky. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, similarly, this week, I, uh, uh, I do not have any crazy beers. In Istanbul, there are craft beer places, but I haven't been to any yet, as I've mostly been working. So I was just carrying a crate of Efes, the uh, most popular Turkish uh, brand. Uh, over here before, uh, before I got here in the, the raging Istanbul heat, much to the amusement of some of the locals seeing me just carry like 24 of these in a, in a big box around through the uh, middle of Taksim Square. Uh, but FA's does taste a lot better in Turkey. I think it's the same with most beers uh, that are exported. You know, Guinness tastes better in Ireland. 
Tenants, does it taste better in Scotland? Well, it probably does because the export's going to be even worse. Uh, but FA's does taste a lot better in Turkey. It might yeah, have a lot to do with the sunshine. I'd want know. to say Foster's tastes better in Australia, but no one <laughs> drinks it. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> you need to take some Foster's over there, Sam. Find, somehow find a way of getting it past Australian customs. Mythos beer tastes some. better in Greece. I know that much. Mm, yeah. Oh, funnily enough, uh, in Athens, they've got a, there's a big brewery there called Nymphi. Uh, Nymphy, and I was thinking uh, we need to start a, uh, a DeFi protocol called Nymph Finance, oh. uh, just uh, just to follow on from this, and we'll uh, we'll do a big NFT mint of uh, like say ten thousand nymphs, uh, and yeah, what the protocol actually does, I haven't quite figured out yet, but maybe you can help me out there. Yeah, let's let's figure that out. I've been wanting to do something like that for ages, but I don't know anyone that can actually do the development side of things. So you probably are more connected now in that space than I am. So let's let's get nymph nymph DeFi off the ground. Yeah, big time nymph. What, one of one of the yeah, key things the should be a distribution of beers to NFT holders. Yeah, yeah, I think. Uh... I think there has been an attempt at that actually with with beers, but it's just so hard with the logistics. Just to get so all of your community needs to be in one country, and then you can do it. Good but with point. DeFi, everyone's all over the place, and it's just hard to get the beer around. All right. Well, I figure if you've got people all over the world and they need to claim a beer, you could. Oh, I don't know. How could you? How could you? How could you sort that out? You need to bring them to an event. Uh, yeah. In- yeah one place i think i think that's i think that's that's where i was coming to is that rather than send it out they have to come and collect yeah redeem they can redeem their nft for some beer a um it like a hackathon except people just come and get come and get wasted (laughs) Uh, actually i think you'll find that's that's what the hackathons are (laughs) (laughs) joking joking they do have some good events in the evenings uh but during the day there is there is hard work being done it would it would make sense though that some of the you know why not you know why not be you know half cut at a hackathon or you know maybe tripping balls there's that I've been, I've been I've been watching a few music documentaries of late and it seems that a lot of the best creative work of of the past uh, particularly in music and I'm sure this applies to all creative industry is done usually under the influence of some kind of psychedelic surely. Mm. Uh, a, a, a LSD fueled hackathon would result in some phenomenal development. I think, uh, from my understanding of it, I think it's the post LSD uh, period, which is the creative part. I think that when they're actually on it, I don't think they'd be able to use a computer very well. <laughs> I think was it Steve Jobs who said he had a massive, a profound experience with LSD when he was younger? And um, then, uh, yeah, I think Jobs did. I'm pretty sure, um, well, definitely the Stones. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the Beatles as well. Oh, big um, time. Yeah, maybe that's the answer to it all, LSD. Yeah, psychedelics. Uh, I do wonder if, um, you know, it was a, one of these classic things. Uh, you know the FT's how to spend it section, yeah. which is uh, just woefully out of touch, and they've <laughs> rebranded it to HTSI to kind of try and make it less woefully out of touch was uh sending out this thing talking about you know psychedelic holidays for really really rich people that they can do you know they can go to mexico or whatever and take uh what's that what's that drug that they're doing peyote yeah peyote yeah and all that stuff um yeah i do wonder if that's is that gonna 
is it going to take off or is it going to just be uh, a vestige of the early 20 early 21st century oh, i think i think i've been looking a lot at it recently um just with work but psychedelics in the treatment of mental illnesses and everything from depression to anorexia to uh post-traumatic stress um even in even even some interesting work going on around alzheimer's and things like that that the use right. of psychedelics and uh is actually reasonably promising so it's not the craziest thing in the world there was yeah. i read a really interesting article it might have been on wired the other day about how some someone or some company had developed like 150 different synthetic drugs in order to try and look at how psychedelics could be used to treat a lot of mental illnesses and um, issues with with brain functionality and you're feeling uh, feeling pretty bullish on it i think that's for, that's from like a medical side i wonder if the recreational side will uh, remain um sort of closed off that way probably <laughs> That's, I think it's a pretty short answer on that one, probably. Yeah. Oh, well, Sam, speaking of, uh, you know, sort of the, the political landscape as it, as it stands, uh, still Rishi or Trust now? Uh, oh, that's God. the, uh, yeah, here we are back again. Maybe we should avoid the subject. It is kind of dull. It is a bit dull because they're a bit boring, aren't they? I mean, for all of Bojo's issues, at least he wasn't boring. You could never call him boring. Yeah. Couldn't yeah, necessarily like, call him competent either, but then none of them are, right? I'd rather have a fascinating, interesting, incompetent person than a boring fucking incompetent person. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. Um, and the, the other thing, thing about Rishi, and I've had this conversation with Paolo a few times, is he's really short, like really short. Yeah, uh, but he's not bald, which is what we were discussing on a previous a previous episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. Yeah, but at what point does does height, does hair overrule height? Big, big question. Uh, mm. I mean, if Tom Cruise can can pull it off, maybe maybe Sunak can as well. But the thing with Tom Cruise is that he always appears in a medium where his height in perspective to everything around him doesn't make him look short. It's only until people see him in like real life settings that they go, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's the same and with the prime minister, right? I mean, not many people are going to meet the prime minister and they're just going to make the stage, you know, nice and high for him. I suppose, but imagine, imagine when, <laughs> imagine when Rishi goes on his trip to America and he's standing next to little Anne's Trump and look, Trump, Trump's no, not short. He's six, he's like six foot three. And yeah. little Rishi's little Rishi's standing there like his fucking child, reaching up and probably got the same size hands as well. But um it it is, I don't know. I, I don't want to be so superficial about it, but there's an air you want you you want your leader to have a, a, a presence about them. So yes, they I'm should right. be basically that dude from from Jack Reacher series on amazon prime that, that's uh, right. yeah and not not the movie where it was yeah, tom not cruise. the movie where it's tom cruise <laughs> yeah i think i, I think you no know, putin's not the tallest guy ever but he uh, he's got such sleight of hand uh, that he's good at always making things bend to his 
been to his advantage. I suppose Remember, it's I also see relative, though, isn't matter. it, as well? If it depends on the size of other global leaders as well. If they're all short, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But imagine it's being true. the tall kid at a G20. Yeah. yeah this is one of the funny ones, like all of the one-upmanship that goes on in, uh, with these settings. You know Baron Trump, uh, Trump's uh, youngest kid? Kid's fucking huge. He's six foot seven, and he's not even finished puberty yet. I know. Like, this is crazy. Like this guy is genuinely like whatever. What are they feeding him? He it's nuts. he he'll be president before Michelle Obama. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, she'll be his first lady. Wow. Macron got away with the massive age difference with his wife. Of course, it's France, but you know. Um, yeah, Baron Trump, man, that kid's that kid, that kid should be in the NBA or something, or he'll probably end up owning his own NBA team. But yeah, yeah, well, I can imagine that someone will someone will facilitate some sort of debt printing so that he can buy an NBA team. <laughs> He'll do a spac, man. It'll be a spac, Trump spac. He will do a spac. The Trump spac. I haven't looked to see how the Trump spac's going. Oh, did they ever? Did they consummate the deal? I don't believe they did in the end, but I could be wrong. The, what was it? The Trump Media and Technology Group, TMTG. Uh, no, they haven't consummated it. What was the, um, I can't remember the name of the SPAC. The consummation of the SPAC. The consummation of the SPAC. I can't remember what the actual SPAC was called. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah, the future of Baron, I, I feel like with a height like that and a public image, that he has i feel like People probably seem to like him well yeah he seems like this sort of lovable little kid but <laughs> yeah i mean what, what's he gonna end up doing there should I, be I, a market there should be a, a betting market for for baron trump to be president at some point in, in the next 50 years yeah i can imagine that i can imagine that happening the trump dynasty continues you know uh, they got you know the Clintons have the political dynasty. Maybe uh, Trump or Baron Trump. You know well, the, uh, the 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 Clintons have this dynasty. But would would you on the balance of it would you say that it was a failed dynasty or a successful one? Depends what Chelsea Clinton does. Uh, they were trying to make Chelsea Clinton a thing to be like a, a political candidate. I remember she was on the front cover of Vogue actually. Uh, in yeah, but she wasn't a sitting president during a war. Ah, true. Yeah, she needs to go to a war zone and then uh, prove her stats. I, yeah, it depends what Chelsea Clinton does as to whether the dynasty succeeds or not. Mm. Um, hey, ah, here we go. Easy. Baron Trump marries Chelsea Clinton. Oh, wow. Salted. Salted, as we say in Aberdeen. There's a, um, there's a book that I, I read to Max, um, a Julia Donaldson book before, but one of, the, one of the many books that Julia Donaldson's written. And then all the parents out there will know what I'm talking about. Boaz, you'll be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> There's a book called The Smeds and the Smooths. Now, ironically, the Smeds, I think, are red and the Smooths are blue. And uh, the story is about these two Smeds, uh, Bill and Janet. And they, they want, you know, they're all the reds don't like the blues, all the blues don't like the reds. They end up like flying away to a planet and then they, everyone, their families realize they're missing. So the red and the blue planet alien things go and try and find them off in space and visit all these planets, but they can't find them. They come back to the home planet. Janet and Bill have had a kid and the kid's purple. And it's like, oh, can't we all just live together in harmony? 
So you know what? It's like this deep-seated fucking harmony message between the Reds and the Blues. But that's what it would be. If Clinton, <laughs> Chelsea Clinton, Baron Trump got hooked, hooked up, we'd be talking about a smedge in the smooth style outcome. And they'd have a purple baby. And yeah, that Romeo, would be... That Romeo would be, and Juliet for the yeah, modern era. The future of, of, of politics is a purple party. A purple, the purple party. The oh yeah, is there not a, a phrase for that? Is there not an acronym or something for that for um, people who, who, yeah, like purple, purple state voters and stuff? Is that actually you know, a real a thing? State? Yeah, I've heard of purple being used uh, to describe uh, like swing voters. Uh, I think and people who sit sort of on the center like that. Um, and it'll like, be the same. I feel it'll like now that this Julia Donaldson book's actually way more political than I ever realized. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of subliminal political messages in it now. I thought it was maybe just like a love story kind of thing, you know, Romeo and Juliet style. But now I feel like it's very much a political thing and not a Romeo and Juliet style thing. It is. It, Sam, I'm surprised it took you a while to, to get that. As soon as you say it. Saying it out loud is different to just going in and reading a book that rhymes and that you get to do funny voices with every other night. But yeah, now yeah. I don't think I want to read it anymore. <laughs> No, no, you just need to read it again, except just change the, the kids' names to uh, Baron and Chelsea. Have I just discovered, like, deep state fucking political propaganda being pushed out through toddler picture books? and? Shit? I think you found uh, an author who likes using her medium to advance her own political ideals. I'm going to have I'm going to have to look now at all the other books. And, and she's written a lot of books. Like, she's yeah. one of Britain's most prolific authors um but obviously all in children's books and so look some of them are, to be fair fantastic um but now I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna have to have a second look at all of them now like what's the message here what's the real uh, message i could you know you can see the message it's clear as day yes imagine uh, you know, it's taken on a new meaning for me and i'm not happy about it yeah the politicization of children's books. I wonder, was there ever a time when they weren't politicized? I'm very millennial, so I'm, I'd probably be the Are same. Are the Harry Potter novels very political in nature? It's um, a good question. I'm not a, I'm not a Potter scholar. I only read them once. Uh, you could say, well, you can argue that what's happened since then is certainly very political wow. in nature. I mean, that's pretty hilarious, isn't it? I feel it? really sorry for her. She's been crucified. Yeah, uh, imagine that. Uh, the the work that you create and like the actors who you you know you took under your wing, they start saying, "I'm going to apologize to your audience." Yeah. Because of your views. Yeah. Damn, that's got to like, that's got to cut. It's like the, she's, she's like, I literally created your livelihood, and this is this is what I get in return. You owe me everything. Literally, fucking everything. <laughs> Your houses in Hollywood, your fucking cars, your first class flights, money in your bank. You owe it to her, yeah. just if you didn't remember. Yeah, but bro, she she had the wrong views. She must be cancelled. Mm. And uh, I'm the savior. I'm going to make it good with the fans. Speaking of cancelled, um, there is, I'm, I can't, I don't know how long we've got on today, but there is one thing, very big, ten very ten upsetting. Minutes thing that we need to talk about about if we're going to talk about things getting cancelled okay and here. tonight is a very special occasion because tonight is the is the airing in the united kingdom on channel five at 9 p.m 
of the final episode ever of Neighbours. Oh, right. Yo, did we talk about this in a previous episode? I, I only we, discovered we very recently. I've never, I've, I've never watched Neighbours in my life. You got I a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> clearly, right? I didn't watch any like daytime TV when I was younger. And I've never watched Neighbours. I only figured out, I only found out like about a month ago that Neighbours is actually set in Australia. Like I had no, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, they film the street scenes uh, uh, probably a five, 10 minute drive from where I used to live, where I grew up as a kid. So suburban Melbourne to me is 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 all those all those street scenes that you see in neighbors that is you can't your, get more accurate as the suburban suburban melbourne australia right why is it being cancelled because no one fucking watches it anymore <laughs> but i was sorry. hoping there was going to be some ashes drama or something <laughs> well there's a little drama so be, be, like it's the final episode. They've brought all these, all you know, a lot of cast members back. So Kylie Minogue was back in it. Jason Donovan was back in it. Margot Robbie came back for it. They even revived a couple of deceased cast members with like fucking just some fancy trickery for it. But there's one person who they didn't bring back for it. Um, and that's Craig McLaughlin. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> who who went through some ish, some sexual or harassment allegations and eventually uh, was cleared. He was cleared though of those allegations. And uh, but they didn't bring him back for the finale. One of the probably more known cast members, former cast members, did not bring him back because cancel culture, according to him, has cancelled him out of returning to the final episode of the now cancelled neighbors episode but it is, it is gonna the watch end it? of an era you know i'm gonna watch it i am like i haven't watched i haven't watched an episode of neighbors probably in oh, i want to say 15 years but i'll watch it i will man i used to love that shit when i was like 15 years old oh damn was uh was guy pierce is guy yeah, pierce yep. is he is he going to be in the final episode uh not sure not sure probably like literally there's like some huge names of uh of australian acting and and music and stuff have all come come from neighbors um so it'll be i i'm keen to see what it, what it's all about so if anyone's ne- if anyone's never watched it i would be interested to see what your thoughts on it are if the first episode you ever watch is the is final the episode they final. ever make Maybe I should do that. Maybe I, I've never watched Neighbours before. Maybe I should watch the final episode. Yeah. I don't know, though. I don't know. It would feel strange. It, it, would, be, it would be knowing the ending of a... God, how long has it gone? It's kind of like 30 or 40 years or something like that. Damn. So this is like a sort of a graduation school for a lot of uh, Aussie yeah. actors, I'm guessing. Like, this is Pretty how they much. make it big. This is, this is how they cut their teeth, yeah, and, and, and get it. Well, it's how they get, yeah, get their start for a lot of them. Said um, Kylie Minogue was huge and that helped kick off. Well, so it was because of Neighbours that she got, I think, she ended up doing her first album and then, you know, <clears throat> mega star. All right. So she was an actress before she was a singer. Yeah. Well, she's always been a singer, but um, she made it big, I think, through Neighbours and then that spiraled into her, her music as well. Margot Robbie, as you say, Guy Pierce, yeah, loads, loads, loads. All right, yeah. I mean, is this the end of uh, UK Oz? Uh, you know, cinematic collaboration. Is this the end of a of a, of a great relationship? Good question. I don't know. Mm. 
I don't yeah, maybe, maybe Hollywood's just eaten, eaten Britain's lunch in this way. Though, funnily enough, a lot of movies are now filmed in the UK because it's all green screen. So you get all these uh, green yeah, screen warehouses. Studio, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, kind of interesting. I guess a lot of people don't, um, don't, don't imagine that all these action sequences they're seeing are actually being filmed in the UK in some warehouse in the middle of nowhere. Well, I'm very much looking forward to the next installment of Mission Impossible that was filmed a lot in the UK. And, and a lot of it was done in real life, IRL. Yeah, Cruz is all about that shit. That's how he's compensating for his height. He does all the stunts himself just to, uh, just to flex on everybody, right? Well, maybe that's how Rishi becomes, becomes the, the great prime minister, the great hope. Is, is he becomes a stuntman? Just does stunts. Like imagine. maybe he can zip wire. <laughs> successfully so while like last that last episode we spoke about bojo zip lining out of number 10 imagine if rishi gets the nod and the first thing he does when he when he when he's moving into number 10 proper is he zip lines in through the front door yeah or maybe uh maybe truss gets it right she gets in and then rishi rappels down from the roof uh through the window I'd like that. You know, he's carrying like an MP5 or something. <laughs> like him. Um, this is again, like, like national lampoons. We've come full circle, like national lampoons where uh, at the national lampoons, Christmas vacation, Christmas vacation. Yeah. Christmas vacation. That, at, and at the end, all, good, the, the all the like SWAT guys just like yeah. come bursting through the windows when they, when um, his, his brother kidnaps or his brother-in-law kidnaps um, the kidnaps his boss. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's, a, that's a classic for that one. Though we are in the wrong season for it, aren't we? We are, but we're now closer to Christmas than the last Christmas. So, Are you one of these guys who... Uh, do you want to go to that place in Alaska where it's Christmas uh, 365 days a year? Lapland or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's called like... No, it's not, it's not Tinseltown. But yeah, it's named after some... Yeah. It's like Santa's... Um, I, ne- I, I, I being Australian, never so much, but my wife loves Christmas to death. And I, you can't help but catch the Christmas bug in this country. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward. I, I look, it's hot. I've, we've had like two weeks of heat and I'm like, that's enough. That'll do. Let's bring on, bring on the cold weather, bring on my grass not growing fast and bring on some snow. See, it's because you've been spoiled by all the great weather in Australia, right? I'm, I love, like I was in Paris when it was, they've reached all-time highs in degree. Like it's never been that hot in Paris before, like above 40. And I was absolutely loving it. And you had all these people from these sunny countries being like, oh, oh, why isn't the aircon working well enough? Oh, it's so hot. And I was like, dude, I'm catching up on all of the bad weather I've had from being raised in Scotland. And here you are trying to rain on the parade. Like it's so good being in the sunshine. I've had, I had 30 years of 40 degrees. I don't, I want my next 30 years to be of 20 degrees in summer and, and, and zero in winter. I need to, oh, I need to cool well, down right now place. for the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I actually have a theory now uh, from, but like, I love being in the sunshine. I think maybe uh, if, when I settle down, I'll probably be living somewhere on the equator just so I don't have to deal with seasons, just because you get sunshine all the time. But my theory is, the reason why Scotland has such a massive alcohol problem and why Scandinavia and Canada are so restrictive on al- alcohol sales is, and Russia has a massive drinking problem as well. Yeah. The reason why is just because people don't get enough sunshine. 
Yeah. So it's like a reflection of the same thing. The government in the governments in Scandinavia, which is so restrictive on this stuff, they're doing it because they know that if they were less restrictive, people would ju- it would just turn into Scotland and everyone would be an alcoholic. And it's, people are only drinking this much just because they don't get enough sunshine. I, I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. Because when you're when it is when it's 40 degrees, the worst thing in the world to do is just get lashed on 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 booze. You, it fucks you up so bad, so bad. You just get you so dehydrated. It destroys. But, but like you do, the desire to drink to ease your sorrows is just far more reduced when you're in a in a sunny place. You know, you just feel yeah. But you do end up drinking a lot of really. You like. So this is the other thing, right? Is I'm I'm very bullish on esky sales in the UK. Oh. Because if this is now going to be the norm, um, like it's the, the hardest thing in the world is to get a proper esky over here, let alone fucking ice. The, mm. the ice, you got to go to a, only corner shops have ice and these pissy little bags and by the, they're completely useless. You, if you, you in Australia, you, when you need bags of ice, you go to the service station, the petrol station, and there's a giant fucking fridge about the size of a, it's about the size of two SUVs. And you just go six bags of ice, mate. You pay, you go into the ice chest and you just grab six bags of ice, chuck them in the back. And then that's, you load up your esky and bang, you're done for the next day. <laughs> this, well, man, does, you- this needs to happen. I think I might start an ice making business and an and esky sales in the uk well you got to be long that stuff if you're uh, if you're bullish on global warming ultimately in the uk i mean they're gonna need a lot of ice there's a lot of air con that needs to be installed as well uh, because Mate, you know, I we am, don't have I'm, much air con i'm long on air con companies i'm long on ice and i'm long on the british sparkling wine industry well if uh if things continue as they have and things do get hotter and hotter, then I guess I got to be short Scottish alcoholism because uh, when it's nice and sunny, you don't feel as bad. So uh, I think that'll be my complimentary view to that. But Imagine Sam, if, if England just gets warmer and warmer and Scotland actually ends up getting colder. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be really funny. <laughs> all, all, you would need to relocate, mate. It'd be too hot for you. You need to go to the Highlands or something. Would actually, you know, well, I might end up moving up there. Heading, what's the f- most northern point? Uh, well, on the main, on uh, was it John O'Groats is a bit at the top, uh, but you'd need to, you'd probably be in a town called Thurso. You can go surfing there. Thurso, that's it. That's where they want to launch rockets from. Yep, lots of space, lots of space. Literally, um, but there's, I think there's a, I saw, did I see this week as well? One of the. Um, Future Gigafactory manufacturers, AMTE, were, has, has, has nominated a spot um, for their upcoming Gigafactory. I think it was, um, was it Glasgow? I can't remember. Oh, that's a bit lowlands. You want to be higher than that. Aberdeen. Well, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> battery factories going up into Scotland. Well, you know, the sunnier it gets, the better Aberdeen looks. I mean, we always say that summer is our favorite day of the year. And we've got this seasonal average where it's just gray all the time. It's not hot or cold. It's just really, really gray. Well, kind of cold. Uh, you know, if that changes, all, all the buildings are made of granite. They glitter like silver in the sunshine. You so maybe we should... Scotland might just have a... It may, it may become the energy... Well, I mean, it already kind of is, but like... 
if 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 the whole wind farm thing kicks off, if it gets a bit sunnier, you might Scotland might just be the place, not not for oil, uh, North Sea oil, but for uh, energy storage, battery storage. Scotland, the the country of storage. There is a uh, there is the argument to be made that Aberdeen would. Uh remain a big energy hub, uh, even if we do get a massive green transition, just because all the infrastructure for all the companies is there. Yeah. Uh, though, personally, I think, you know, we're not actually going to need the help because oil is going to have a, a very bright future. But uh, Sam, we are getting on a little bit for time. If you'd like to rate your Peronis, feel free. Mm, no, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right ranking Peronis, which is why I'm going to get back onto the boutique beers next week, folks. So we can do get back to some proper beer ratings. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think uh, I'm drinking FAs in uh, in Turkey. And uh, yeah, it tastes a lot better here. And of course, the, the sunshine definitely helps. I'll give this one a B. FAs, this is FAs Pilsen, their Pilsner. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. But I think we shall tie it up there, folks. Uh, that has been the latest episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. Our cadence remains rather... Um, ad hoc. <laughs> ad hoc. An ad hoc cadence, indeed. But hopefully we'll have another episode for you soon. No doubt a huge amount of uh, action will take place in the market before then, which we can then discuss. But until then, folks, hope you have a very nice time. That's all from us at Booze, Booms and Busts. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>